0: Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to Hillhead at the Grosvenor, and there are gold stars all around for making it despite the road closures. Our service this morning is being led by Katrina, and as you can see, it focuses on communion. As always, everyone is invited to take part who's trying to follow Jesus, but if for any reason you would rather not, you just pass the bread and wine on to your neighbour.
1: Thank you, Anne. So it's great to see you here. Um, I've just done a quick count. If I was still in Leicestershire nine years ago and I had this many people on a Sunday, I would have been cheering because this is as good as it ever got. So it's always relative, isn't it? We might think, oh, there's not that many of us here, but you know, there are lots of churches that would love to have this many people together on a Sunday. And I'm hoping some more are on their way and just that buses are delayed. Um, but we'll see what happens. Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. And after hearing those words, I felt there was really only one hymn we could sing, which is the great Russian praise hymn, how great thou art. So if you're able, and if my zapper behaves, let's stand together and sing. O Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hand has made. Thanks, Leo. can see out the window I can tell you that the number six bus has just arrived and we have another eight or so people making their way up the side so they may walk in in the middle of the prayers but it doesn't matter so we're going to come to God in prayer and as usual we join together in the Lord's Prayer in whatever language feels the most natural and comfortable when we get to that point so let's pray together to worship you loving God is our duty and our joy. Or at least that's what we tell ourselves. And yet to find the words to express that can seem almost impossible. So we draw comfort from the truth that all creation praises you simply by its being. The multicoloured flowers that brighten gardens and parks and to invite bees and other insects to pollinate the plants. The songs of birds announcing the dawn of a new day or the close of an old one or communicating attraction or warning to their fellows. The shade of tall trees whose leaves darken from spring green to deep green And then, as the sugars do their work, they turn red or gold or brown and then fall to the ground, forming the mulch where seeds can germinate. Hills and mountains, rivers and streams, seas and oceans. Fish and amphibians, birds, reptiles, insects, rodents, apes and other mammals. Cabbages, carrots. Apples, strawberries, cucumbers, melons, all the fruits and vegetables. When we think of these, we are awed and drawn into the wonder of who you are, our creating, creator God. And then we remember the sad reality. Plastic washed up on beaches, animals, fish, and birds trapped or injured by human cast-off waste, rivers poisoned with chemicals, moorland scorched by deliberately set fires, melting ice caps and deforestation, wild animals starving and homeless. To heal this wounded world, Christ died, drawing into the heart of God all pain and sorrow. To bring hope for this world, Christ lived, teaching his followers about the Kingdom of God, modelling a new order and inviting others to join him in bringing it to fullness. And so because of that, we join with countless others through all ages as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come,
0: thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses,
1: as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. We're going to start off this morning with a little bit of a citizenship test. If you go onto the internet, you can find sample questions of the tests that are used for people who wish to achieve. British citizenship so I'm expecting Addy to be the expert on this because I remember you've done this test and you've passed yes I did a few of the I had to go at a few of the practice ones and I'm thankfully managed to pass all of them you have to get 75% so three quarters of the questions right to pass um, on each one that I did I got 95% so I've lived here all my life and there are things that, that I don't know that doesn't surprise me. You're looking slightly worried, so we're only going to do a few of them. And they are multiple choice. And if the practice ones are like the real test, there's almost a little bit of humour in some of them. Who knew? OK, so here are some questions. And as they say, they're from www.uktest.com and they're from test number six. So, how many members does a jury have in Scotland? Is it 12, 14, 15, or 16? 15, so you knew that one. Anybody think anything else? I thought it was 12. 12, okay. So it's 12 in England and Wales and presumably Northern Ireland. 15 in Scotland. So that's all right, because we've got a Welsh and a Scottish person got that wrong, so that's okay. But yep, 15 in Scotland. Anybody know why it's 15? So I, I couldn't find the history of why it's 15. You Can't have a tide vote. vote. Yep, yeah, that's, that's a useful thing, isn't it? Yeah. So there's, the chair of the jury never gets that put upon them, which I think can happen very rarely elsewhere. Okay. It is an offence not to have an MOT certificate if your vehicle is more than three years, three years. Three years old. Anybody think anything else? No. Three, is true. three is correct, <laughs> it is. You, that sounds like um, some serious knowledge there, Ali. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and it's one of those things when I had a car, I'd always be checking when the MOT <laughs> test was due. And one of my weird nightmares that I still have is that I still have not the car I used to have, but the one before that, and no MOT, and I go out driving it. Now, this is like 10 years ago plus, 12 years ago, I got rid of that car, but I still have this dream that I'm out driving it, and the police catch me with no MOT. But yeah, three years, once your car is three years old, you have to get an MOT test every year to make sure it's not unsafe to be on the road. Okay. In 55 BC, Julius Caesar led a Roman invasion of Britain I shouldn't have a question mark, that's a fact It was unsuccessful and for nearly how many years Britain remained separate from Rome? So 50 years, 100 years, 200 years or 300 years? Leo thinks 100, anybody think 100 or anything else? Okay, well done, Leo. You're right. It's it's 100, yeah, 100 years. So, Leo, you got that one right. The rest of them need to go and swat up their Roman history. I have to confess, the only reason I knew the answer is I've walked Hadrian's Wall, and it tells you all the way. And I think the buses are called something like 54 AD or something that, that run along it, so kind of a bit of a cheat. What must you buy if – this is, this is one's got a bit of humour to it – what must you buy if you have a device that can be used for watching or recording TV programmes? A video player, beer and popcorn, a TV licence or a set of speakers? TV a TV licence. Yeah. Does everybody agree? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, a TV licence because they, they send the detector vans round and if you don't have one, well, you can be in trouble. Okay, now this one I I think is a bit... I don't actually agree with this as a question, but hey-ho, this is what it says. What bird is traditionally eaten on Christmas Day? Duck, chicken, turkey or ostrich? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) well, yeah. Okay, hands up those who would like to vote for duck. Okay, has anybody ever had duck as a Christmas dinner? Yeah, a few people. Because actually that is one of the traditional birds. Hands up for chicken. Anybody have had chicken on Christmas Day? Yeah, a few of us. Hands up for turkey. Quite a lot of us. Hands up for ostrich. So which is the right answer according to the test? Turkey, yeah. And actually that's really North American, not British. So I think they got it wrong. Okay, I'm now going to ask you a different question. This question isn't on... The UK citizenship test, but this is a genuine question that was asked of a teenage asylum seeker. She had come over to the UK, in fact, living in Glasgow, as a child, and when she was somewhere between 16 and 18, I'm not exactly sure where, in order to remain, she had to go up in front of the people herself, and her reason for seeking asylum was that she was a Christian, and she was from an African country. And one of the questions that she was asked is this, what were the names of Jesus' 12 disciples? So now I'm asking you, can you tell me the names of Jesus' 12 disciples? Matthew, yeah. Yes, John. John uh, yeah. James, yep. I'm quite good at translating from Persian. Are you impressed? Um, <laughs> Peter, yes. Thomas. Um, Bartholomew, yep. Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot, yep. So there were two Simon's. So we'll have the, we'll have that as the other Simon. Yep. That's eight. Yeah. We had that one. Yeah. We had that one. Yep. Yeah. Thaddeus, well done, Sheila. Nine. James, the son of there is James, the son of Alphaeus, Ten. <laughs> it's really hard, isn't it? But well done for getting to, well done for getting to ten. Um, no, we haven't said Andrew. Eleven. We had Bartholomew. We had Peter. We had John. I think. We Peter, yeah. I think the one we're missing is the other Judas. But we'll come back later. I, I, will, I will tell you the list later. But well done for getting that. But we had to do it between us, didn't we? You imagine your Beth's age or Leo's age sat in a room with scary people saying, So you're a Christian, are you? <laughs> Okay, you, if you're a Christian, you tell me the name of Jesus' 12 disciples. Because if you want to stay in our country because you're a Christian, you need to be able to do that. That's terrible, isn't it? Because most of us who have grown up in the church, been in the church since we were little, couldn't do that on our own and certainly couldn't do it under pressure. So it's, you know, I just thought I'd share that with you because this is a question asked of of, a a teenage girl who wanted to stay in Scotland. She couldn't get them all. She got most of them and she answered her other questions satisfactorily and thank goodness they let her stay. But it does make you stop and think what it costs some people to be able to practice their faith that most of us just take for granted. And today we're going to be thinking about these disciples the 12 people that Jesus called and we're going to sing a song now it's a children's song it's takes a, it's got a bit of fiddliness to it so um, we'll see how we go the choir have been practicing it and hopefully we'll get there together thank you Leo singing test. Jesus was just starting out in his ministry, and he'd begun to preach in the synagogues in Galilee, where he grew up. And one Sabbath, he was in Nazareth, his own town, and he told the people in, in in the synagogue that the words of the prophet Isaiah, which he'd just read to them, had come true there that day. And some people were amazed and they said good things about him and other people were really angry and they they chased him out of the synagogue and out of the town because what they really wanted to do was to kill him, but he managed to get away. And not long after that, one day he was walking by the great lake, the Sea of Galilee is what it's sometimes called, and he saw some busy fishermen on the shore working by their boats, and he saw two of them that were in their boat and they were called Simon and Andrew. And he said, uh, Simon, Andrew, I don't know if you knew their names or not, but let's pretend he did. Um, you two, you come with me uh, and you will fish for people. And they did. They put down their nets and they went with him. And they walked a bit further along the shore and there was another boat. And in that boat was an old man and his two grown-up sons. The man's name was Zebedee, and the two boys were Simon and Andrew. Sorry, it were James and John, if I get, get myself mixed up now, James and John. And Jesus said to James and John, stop, stop mending those nets, you, you come with me as well. And do you know what they did? So Jesus has got four friends, and, and he, he goes off. And a little while after that, he decided he was going to leave Galilee, And as they set off, they were all going along, and Jesus saw a man called Philip. And he said to Philip, "Um, Philip, come with me. Well, Philip was really, really intrigued by this. And he went off to a tree where a friend of his called Nathaniel was just having a nice sit, watching the world go by. And he said, you know, I think I might have found the one that the scriptures tell us about. So Nathanael was intrigued and he, he went with, with Philip and they went to Jesus. And Jesus did know Nathanael's name and he did know what he'd been doing. And, and Nathaniel was like, well, how, did, how did you know that? We don't know whether Nathaniel did go with them or not because we never hear about him again. But maybe he did. Anyway, Jesus and these first disciples began to travel around and... If Matthew's Gospel is right, the, the stuff that we know as the Sermon on the Mount all happened in these early days. So he would gather huge crowds of people. Lots of people wanted to hear what Jesus was saying. Well, they did until they actually said, Jesus, if I follow you, what do I have to do? And, and then he would say things that weren't quite so comfortable to hear, like, well, you have to leave behind your family. You have to leave behind your home. And they go, oh, well, maybe not then, Jesus. I'll, I'll listen to your stories, but maybe I'll not actually sign up to follow you. And then one day, they were, came to a place, and they saw one of the Roman-employed tax gatherers in his booth where people were paying their taxes to the Romans. And the man's name was Matthew, and, and Jesus said to him, "Will you come and follow me. And he did. He shut up shop, and he invited Jesus and his other friends around for dinner. And after that, he became one of Jesus' followers. But one of the things that happened when they went to Matthew's house was he invited other tax collectors, and then these dodgy people called sinners. The people who didn't quite measure up to what the authorities liked. So they might have been people who did bad things. But more likely they were just people who were on the edge. The people who didn't have many friends because they worked for the Romans. Or perhaps they were shepherds who worked in the fields. Or perhaps they were women who had no money and had been forced to sell their bodies in order to put food on the table. But Matthew had such people in his home and Jesus welcomed them. And the authorities didn't like this because that was not what a Jewish rabbi would do. But more and people, more people began to follow Jesus and the the word disciples was used to describe them. And that word just means a learner, people who wanted to learn from Jesus. But there got to be so many that I think Jesus realised he couldn't just carry on. He couldn't really know everybody as much as he'd like to. He couldn't have people coming up to him all the time saying can you heal my granny, can you bless my child I've run out of food, can you explain this scripture to me, Jesus I want to follow you, can I ask you a question he couldn't keep up with all of that, it's too much and I wonder if he remembered the story we heard a few weeks ago about Moses who got into that situation and had to choose people to help him we don't know because nobody tells us but what we do know is that one night Jesus spent it all on his own and he thought and he prayed and he came down the next morning and he said Simon, Andrew, James, John I'd like you, Judas and the other Simon and Thomas and the other Judas and Philip and Matthew I'd like you And then we have this slight complication because Luke tells us that number 12 was Bartholomew, who might have been Nathanael, and Matthew tells us it was Thaddeus, who might also have been called Jude and might have been one of Jesus' brothers. Some of them we know quite a lot about, but most of them, we don't really know anything much about them. But these were the ones that Jesus chose, and he gave them a different name. He called them apostles, which means sent ones. These were the 12 people in his core team, if you like. I wonder who we would put in our list, though. If we were going to choose a list of disciples from the gospel stories, who might we put in? Perhaps we would add the Samaritan woman at the well, who was sent back to her village to tell people about Jesus. Or Mary Magdalene, who was sent to tell Peter and the others that Jesus had risen. Perhaps we'd add Zacchaeus, or Zacchaeus, or however it says where you grew up. Or Jairus, or the Roman centurion, or the man who was born blind. Or any of the dozens of other people whose lives were changed by meeting Jesus. Whoever they were, whatever their names, these were people who followed Jesus, and some of them he chose to fulfil special roles. And so we're going to be thinking a bit more about that today. If you want to go and do colouring and creative stuff, as usual, it's over the way. If you prefer to stay here, that's fine. And we'll just have some music as we reflect on what we've heard and as we move around. Thanks, Paul. Mm-hmm. reflection today is in two parts, really. Firstly, we're going to do a little bit of an exploration of the language used to describe the people that Jesus chose for himself. And then we're going to look at some other parts of the story that are exclusive, in some cases, part of it, to Luke's account. Usually, at least in my experience, when we talk about the people closest to Jesus, We talk about the disciples, we say the the 12 disciples. And that is definitely a valid way of talking about them. They were men, and they were all men, who had chosen to learn from Jesus. They'd sought him out, or he'd sought them out, and they came together to learn from him. Sometimes in the Gospels we hear him referred to as rabbi or teacher, Whatever may or not have been the case about these men, the thing that united these men was their desire to learn from Jesus. He was a wonder worker, he was a preacher and he'd come from the north, he'd come from Nazareth in Galilee and he was a bit different from some of the other rabbis, the other teachers. Disciple, which has the same origin as the word discipline, which is a word we perhaps think of in a more harsh way, they've got the same origin. So the fact that people chose to come to Jesus, to learn from him, to live under his discipline, suggests that there was something attractive about him. He was an interesting man. He was a man that you wanted to listen to. The things in what he said and how he said it that you just thought, yeah, actually... I'd like to be part of that. And for the ones we hear about, they liked it so much that the fishermen gave up their fishing business, seemingly literally threw down their nets and walked away, that Matthew gave up his tax-gathering business, which was very lucrative because you could add quite a bit on for your own benefit and left that behind. And because they travelled a lot... They clearly left their families behind. Now, generally speaking, most of us won't have to leave behind our jobs or our families to follow Jesus. But some do. We have people in our church for whom that's true. People for whom the decision to follow Jesus... Meant leaving behind parents and brothers and sisters and jobs and friends and coming to a country that we think it's a hot day and it's actually still a cold day and living in high flats that we might not choose to live in because there's something so attractive about Jesus. Jesus draws you into this relationship of learning that actually it seems possible that you can do this. Most of us don't have to make such a big decision, but there is a decision to make. Do we want to join Jesus' team or Jesus' squad or not? Because to be a learner, a disciple, is a choice, not an obligation. Another word that's not used so often nowadays, but certainly was around when I was growing up, is apostle. And the Gospels tell us that Jesus designated these 12 people that he picked out. He called them apostles. And the word apostles means somebody who is sent, a sent one. And probably the nearest word we would have in everyday church language would be a missionary. Because mission word mission also means sent. So he chose, out of the people who came to learn from him, people he wanted to send out to other places. And we have this story. You know, We read the stories, the feeding the 5,000, the the crowds that came bringing their children to Jesus for them to bless him. There were too many people that he couldn't actually ever know their names. He couldn't actually speak to all of them. He needed more people to join his team. And so as we've already heard, he went aside one night and he had obviously been thinking about it for a while and he prayed and he chose some of them and he said, you are the ones that I want to be in in my core team. And what a mixture they were. You know, James and John, sometimes called the sons of thunder, quite prone to arguing And do you remember the tale about how their mum came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, you know my boys, my boys, well, when you're king, can one be that side and one be that side? And Jesus said, it's not not up to me. (laughs) That's a good answer, actually. But there was this ambition. So there were people who wanted to be number one. And then there was Simon Peter. And we all know him, you know, the one that kind of opened his mouth to change feet. One minute he could be saying, Jesus, you are the Messiah. And the next minute saying, oh, no, 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 you're not going to go and die in Jerusalem. And then there was Thomas, who asked all kinds of questions. And there was Judas Iscariot, who looked after the money. And somewhere along the line, got so disillusioned, he went to the authorities and said, you know what, actually, I'll, I'll sell him to you. And there are others we don't know anything about. We just know a name. But what we do know is that for all of them, there was something attractive about Jesus that drew them to him. And Jesus saw in each of them, including Judas Iscariot, something unique and precious for his team. And Jesus continues to do that, doesn't he? Or at least we would say... The Holy Spirit continues to call people, to identify people from among the big community of disciples to do something different, to be part of a core team, perhaps, to be the sent ones. Obviously, that means missionaries, the so mission partners, and it's great that we have Christine, who is our mission partner over in France, somebody who has accepted that call on her life. But it could mean anybody. It could mean everybody. If we believe, as we say we do, and it's a phrase I use often in the priesthood of all believers, that we are all equal and we are all part of this, then what does it look like to have some who are called out for a special role? And should people be called out for a special role? And is there a risk that, like Jesus' early followers, we assign status to that in an unhelpful way I hope you don't and I don't think you do but in some churches the minister is somehow set up on a pedestal because he and it's still usually a he is somehow closer to God I've actually had somebody tell me that I was closer to God than anybody else which was a bit worrying but great expectations put on on the shoulders of that person but also a sense that, well, we can just get that person to do... I don't think that's what happens here, but it is a risk in some churches. But can we identify people and say, we think actually God has given you the gifts to fill this role in our community at this time? If we are the squad, all of us together, are there people who Jesus said, right, actually for this next little while... I'd like you, you, and you, and you, to be in my central team. Everybody can choose to be a disciple, a learner. And from among the learners, with God's help, we choose some people to be the sent ones, the apostles, or the ones for whom a specific role can be fulfilled for a specific season. And that's kind of where we got to in the story that I told you. And that's what I want to do with the language. The language of learners and the language of sent ones. One's a choice, and having made the choice, the other one is a call. But I'm going to go on a bit now into two more stories from the Synoptic Gospels. All three, Matthew, Mark and Luke, tell the story of Jesus sending out the 12 on a mission. And we don't t- tell us a lot about the mission, but he does say they're to go to their own people. It say, says, I want you to go to the lost sheep of Israel. So the people of your own nation who you might think are lost, doesn't say what lost means, but... If you think somebody's on the outside, if somebody's excluded, if they've wandered away, I want you to go to them. You're not to go to the foreigners, you're not to go to Samaritans. And he said, and this is what you must do. You must preach the kingdom of God and you must heal those who are sick in body, mind or spirit. So there's a definite job to be done. And then comes the catch. He said, oh, and by the way, don't take any money with you. Don't take any spare clothes with you. Don't take a walking staff with you. In fact, don't take anything with you. Off you go. When you get to a town, go and find somebody who will welcome you into their home and accept their hospitality. And eat what they give you. Don't go, sorry, I don't like that. If they give you porridge for dinner, well, just eat it. If they give you beans on toast and you're not keen on beans on toast, just eat it. They served me chicken, just eat it. They weren't to make a fuss. They were just to go and find people and tell them what Jesus had told them. He spent time getting to know these men. But the time has now come when they've actually got to put it into practice, what they've learned. They can't just sit at his feet forever learning and listening to stories and getting really good at the theory they've now got to go out and do it as the saying goes this is where the rubber hits the road so off they go I don't know what Jesus does in the meantime maybe he just has a nice rest for a little while and I don't know how long it takes we don't even know much about what happened we just know that they went and they did some stuff and they came back and I find that absolutely amazing and encouraging and empowering and challenging because what Jesus does is he lets them go. He doesn't go, excuse me, Margaret, what are you doing? Um, no, 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 don't do that to this. Um, sorry, Anne, you were, no, not Anne. Good to go talk to that person. He doesn't do that. He just says, this is what I've taught you. Off you go. You can do it. And I think it is a positive, you can do this. It's not, well, I'm going to let you go and try, but, you know, I'm just going to not quite let you go. He he lets them go. You can do this. And they go. And that's true for us too. We've all got unique gifts and skills that God has given us. But sometimes we just have to take that risk and put them into use. And God's not going to come up to us and go, oh, do you know what, Nancy, that prayer was rubbish. I go, Nancy, you prayed. Way. Jeff, oh, dear me. No, no, no. God is pleased, delighted that we will use the gifts and the skills that we've been given. And God wants us to use those gifts and skills. Sometimes I think the real challenge for me, anyway, and probably for a lot of us looking at your faces, is our own reluctance because we think we might screw up. We think we might do a rubbish prayer or say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. But actually, God trusts us. And I think we have to remind ourselves of that, that uh, he who called us is faithful, as the old reading goes. I couldn't tell you where it comes from. I'm rubbish at that. But it doesn't matter that I'm rubbish at that because God is faithful and God can be trusted and God trusts us. But that was the 12, and, of course, they were the ones closest to Jesus, weren't they? So we can kind of, if we really want to say, well, well, you know, that was them. I mean, I'm, 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 not, I'm not like that. But Luke gets us again. Because a little while later, Jesus chooses another set of people. And this time, depending on which ancient manuscript you look at, it's either 70 or 72. Now, that's interesting because that's roughly the size of our church if we're all here, including the tots and the, the, from the tiniest right through. Roughly 70 people, about the size of our church. We don't know anything about them. We don't know their names. We don't know whether they were men or women, though I'd kind of like to hope there might be some women in amongst there. We don't even know why it was that number. But he says to these people, I'm sending you out in twos. Don't want you to go on your own? I want you to go out in twos and I want you to do the same as the 12 have just done (coughs) I want you to go to villages and you go to a house and you knock on the door and you say who you are and if they invite you in that's great you stay and you chat to them and you tell them what you're about and if they reject you well don't feel you've failed because it's not about you just walk away And that, for me, was a really important reminder because I'm always that worried, that, well, what if if I say it and they don't like it? What if they don't like me? What if they reject me? And kind of what Jesus is saying, not in a nasty way, is this isn't about you. Don't take it personally is what he's saying. It's not saying you don't matter. You do matter. But don't take it personally if people reject you. Just go on and do something else. And they come back and we discover that they're really happy. they like, Jesus, Jesus, guess what? And he's happy because they're happy. And he couldn't have supervised all 72 of them going off all over the place. He had to trust them. And they had to believe that he trusted them. What I like about this story is that it means that all of us have a role within it it doesn't matter whether we know the 12 disciples it doesn't matter if we can cite chapter and verse of the bible it doesn't matter if we can sing or not sing if we can do finances or not do finances it doesn't matter who we vote for it doesn't matter anything except that we've chosen to follow Jesus in the words and used at the start of the service, we are people trying to follow Jesus. We know we mess up. We know we're not always going to get it right. But we've chosen to be in Jesus' team. And Jesus has given everyone, said to each one, says to each one of us, you know what, you can do this. He's not necessarily going to send us out lock, door knocking in the West End, for which I'm hugely grateful because I would not like to go door knocking in the West End. But he does say, I've got something for each of you to do in, in, in my kingdom, my commonwealth, whatever language you like to use for it. You've all got gifts and skills, and you can all use them to speak and to be good news to those around you. So where I kind of want to end is it's, it's a word of encouragement, really, for all of us, that we matter. We've been saying that all summer. We all matter. We've all got unique gifts and skills. We know that. I'm drumming it in to myself myself. <laughs> at least as much as to anybody else. But Jesus trusts us. Jesus says, you can do it. You, Hillhead Baptist Church, can do this. You are my team in this place, and I love you, and I've equipped you, and I just want you to be who I've made you to be. So with that in mind, let's sing again. You may not know the words, but you will know the tune. Oh, where are you going? And can I come with you? And what is your method for keeping alive? No pack or possessions? No clothing or shelter? No food to sustain you? How can you survive? for our prayers today we would do something slightly bonkers because we haven't done anything slightly bonkers yet this summer for prayers anyway so you should have found a fish on your chair when you came in and we're just going to take a few moments of silence and whatever it is we want to bring to God in prayer we can draw it we can write it, we can symbolise it And then we can (laughs) place it in the net, which is at that end of the room. And when we've all had a chance to do that, I will gather them. I will gather the net and we will offer those prayers to God in a very short prayer that I will lead us in. So we pray with our eyes open and we draw or write or symbolise whatever it is we would like to bring to God today. scriptures tell us of fishermen who left their nets to follow Jesus. And the scriptures tell us of a Jesus who invited fishermen who were despondent to cast their nets in a different direction. And the nets were so full that they almost broke. And the scriptures tell us of a net lowered from heaven, full of all creatures, those which the Jews thought to be clean and those which the Jews thought to be unclean. And the word of God was not to call unclean, that which God has declared clean. And so we gather our prayers, prayers for a broken and disordered world where there is much hurt and much sorrow and into which God speaks hope and a future for all creation. And we offer these our prayers and ourselves as part of the answer. In the name of Christ, Amen. join the throng just for this bit anyway I'll let you move back afterwards we know from the scriptures that Jesus enjoyed having meals with people there were times when he was invited to the homes of religious officials Pharisees who were interested in this man who told it a bit differently from what they'd ever been told before. And there were times when he went to the homes of tax gatherers, at least two, Matthew and Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, whoever. There was a time when he went to the home of one of his closest friends, mother-in-law, and she was not well. And somehow or other, when Jesus touched her, she was healed. And the first thing she did was get up and cook them dinner. And there was a picnic. Well, eventually it was a picnic for 5,000 people. But it was only possible because one little boy handed over his packed lunch. And then there was that family at Bethany. The two sisters and a brother who he loved dearly where he would go of an evening just for some peace and quiet and a welcome and some food. And then of course there was that strange occasion after his death when two disciples, two followers, two learners were going home distraught because the one they loved had died and they invited a stranger for dinner and when he broke the bread they discovered it was Jesus and we know these stories, we love these stories, Jesus who is the friend of the outsider, friend of the sinner, the friend of the foreigner, the friend of the failure, the wine-bibber and the glutton who was criticised by the authorities. The miracle worker who refused a temptation to make bread out of rocks in a desert place. The one who would meet people in their everyday lives and say, come with me. And the same one who would call them by name and say to them, I'm sending you out in my name. Jesus, Rabbi and Prophet, Christ, Saviour and Redeemer. This is the one who meets us here. This is the one who calls us to share around this table. So let's come truly believing that we are always welcome at this Table, that we will never be turned away. And that here, no matter how life feels, just now, we might just glimpse new hope, new love, or new life. A time came when Jesus realized it was only going to be a little while now until he would get arrested. Things were just going that way. And he knew that once he got arrested, what happened next was inevitable. And it was the Passover season, the most precious festival of the Jewish people. And he wanted just one more time to share the Passover with his friends, with those closest to him. And we always assume it was the Twelve. We don't know that, but that is what we assume. But there could, there could have been others there from amongst those whom he loved and who loved him. And Jesus knew that there were spies everywhere looking for him. So he made arrangements to borrow a room and he agreed a coded signal by which those he sent ahead to get things ready would know where to go and as the evening drew on each of the followers made their own way to that place walked up the steps and gathered to share the Passover and there was an awful lot about that that was familiar the psalms they sang were the same psalms they had sung since they were children every year The prayers they prayed were the same prayers that their fathers and mothers had prayed before them. And the roles they played in the telling of the story were the same that continued all through history and indeed continue through history amongst Jews to this day. They may have been a bit weary, been a long day. They may have been nostalgic remembering past times. They may have been content just to be with their friend. At least one of them was probably on edge, wondering if anyone could tell what was going on in his mind, what it was he'd done, what it was he planned to do. And Jesus, their teacher, their prophet, lifted up the bread and he said a prayer, a familiar prayer, and then he broke it. And as he broke it, he said, look, this is my body. This is my body that's going to be broken for you. And I want you to remember me when you eat bread together. And later on, Jesus, the wonder worker, the storyteller, the healer, the one they had come to know and love so much, lifted up a cup of wine and prayed a familiar prayer. And then he said, this is the seal of the new covenant which is made in my blood and when you drink wine I want you to remember me and for a couple of thousand years people have done just that and so will we so let's copy Jesus' example and give thanks to God for the bread and the wine set before us God of all creation, we thank you for this bread and for this wine, produce of the earth and work of human creativity. May they be for us the sign and symbol of all we remember of Jesus, our Rabbi, our teacher, our prophet, saviour, redeemer and friend. And as we share, may we find new hope, new love, new faith, and new courage to continue to follow him, wherever he may lead or send us. Amen. So Jesus took the bread and he broke it and they all shared it however many of them there were whatever was going through their mind an amazing mystery is they remembered and they passed it on to us At the end of the meal, Jesus took a cup of wine and said, This is a new covenant in my blood. And he shared it with everybody in the room. So we will retain our glasses, our cups, that we may drink together as a sign and symbol of our unity in Christ. As brothers and sisters, as learners of Jesus, let's drink together in gratitude and with faith. After the meal was over, Jesus and his friends left the room walked down the stairs, went out of the city and into the olive garden. Here, Jesus would pray that a different ending might be possible, whilst at the same time committing himself to the path that lay ahead. Here, his closest friends would fall asleep, weary and unaware of what was about to happen. Here, one among them whom he loved would betray him with a kiss, and the rest would flee into the night. Loving Jesus, we, just like your disciples of old, don't know what lies beyond this moment. Whatever we plan, whatever we fear, whatever comes our way. We recall that betrayal, arrest and execution did not and do not have the last word. And that as the risen Christ, you are with us always and you are with us now. Amen. going to share in the closing responses that are on the sheet. Uh, I think it's fairly clear which bits we join in together. From where we are to where you need us, Jesus now lead on. From the security of all we know to the adventure of what you will reveal, Jesus now lead on. To refashion the fabric of the world until it resembles the shape of your kingdom.
0: Jesus,
1: Jesus, now lead on. on. Because good things have been prepared for those who love God. Jesus, Jesus, now lead on. on. And the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with us and those we love, now and always.